I know like vision boards and I know having vision and having this perfect plan and writing all these goals. I know that's important. I do it in my life. But what's really another thing that I feel like we so often forget is the fact that challenges and crap is going to hit the fan and it's not going to always be that straight line that gets us from A to B or A to Z. And it's like beginning to understand that those moments and those times in life are going to make us stronger. And it's easy for them to make us stronger after the fact, but it's, it gets so powerful when we can allow them to make us stronger in the moment and knowing that something great is going to come out of this. Welcome to the Ziggler show where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we're talking about your story and your stage and we have a master with us, Pete Vargas. First though, you must know that Zig Ziglar came to fame primarily due to just that, his story and the many, many stages he presented it on. His main platform was live speaking events, but he impacted many more through audios and books as stages. But he was a master of his stage. And here's the deal. We all have a stage with our businesses, for our businesses. How do we capitalize with them? So to that, Pete Vargas. Ziegler is helping promote his upcoming workshops. But of course, I'm digging into his personal story, which is significant. We really spend the first almost half the show just talking about the heart of why he does what he does. Uh, so you'll hear that there. A quick bio, though, if you don't know Pete, he's the founder and CEO of Advance Your Reach. If you look on Facebook, he has an amazing amount of people, from famous people that you'll know to those who've attended his events who sing his praises, uh, to put it mildly. I mean, since 2003, he and his team have booked over 25,000 stages worldwide and generated tens of millions of dollars of revenue through those stages. Pete has booked legendary speakers, including Ryan Deese, Shark Tank's Damon John. He's also shared stages with titans such as Michael Phelps, Robert uh, Caldini, Howie Mandel, and Brian Burchard. Uh, Pete believes that your signature talk is the most powerful marketing tool you have and that stages are the fastest way to grow your business. And man, it's really inspired me to think about that for my own life and business. Well, Pete is the expert in knowing what to say on stage, how do I identify and win the right stages and how to scale the stage, generating revenue and impact. Through years of testing, he's perfected the stage to scale system that has helped so many others land speaking engagements and leverage stages to grow their businesses and organizations. So he has an event coming up October 18th, 2018 called the power of the one hour launch. We're going to talk about it some in this conversation, but again, you're going to start off just hearing the heart of why he does what he does and why he wants you to bring your heart onto the stage and influence people with your message. You can find out all the information about that uh, event at one hour launch workshop.com slash Miller. All right. We're going to start with Pete right after I share some great resources. Okay, folks here. Then I bring you Pete Vargas again, an amazing personal story, which we cover in about the first 25 minutes uh, that'll set the stage for what he has to offer us. Uh, and we're really going to get into the, just the equipping of how to best establish and utilize your heart, your message, your story, and your stage. Well, Pete, you are the man about stages, and I am so grateful that you have come to share our stage today. Just really honored. Thanks for being here. 
Well, thanks for having me. I mean, we're just right up the road from each other. So I don't normally get to talk with people in my backyard. So. I, I know it's almost kind of goofy, but uh, it serves us well. Oh, hey, I got it. So let's disclose the fact that, uh, that I just heard that you spent some time with Tom Ziegler here just a moment ago uh, doing a video. Uh, tell us how that was. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, obviously we're passionate about stages and we set up an interview and Tom wanted to interview about how Zig used stages and speaking as the number one thing they did in their organization to impact the world and reach millions, but not just reach millions, but also make a, you know, it was the number one driver of attracting more customers and clients that they got to serve and help, you know, you know, change their lives. And so, yeah, we interviewed and got, he shared things that I don't think he normally shares and just the inside track on, you know, how Zig's career started in speaking and how it wasn't easy out of the gates and, how in 1972 on July 4th that all changed and literally gave us an inside look at how Zig Ziglar used stages and speaking to still impact today the impact that's being made even after he's not here. It has a lot to do with stages and speaking. So it was cool. It was like I felt like I was in like I don't even know. I was like, wow, like this is like feels like historic to me. Yeah, so. yeah, beautiful. Well, man, just again, honor. Well, okay, so I want to hear what you know, but first I want a little bit more about who you are to be sitting with us today. I mean, a main part of your teaching is to harness your story, bring it to the stage. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, we all know the testimony of the person who lost a hundred pounds and now they got the picture with the big pants and they're excited. They want to go inspire and teach everybody. So you had this incredible experience as a youth or young man with your dad at a speaking engagement, incredibly impacted by the speaker. But what's interesting to me is you didn't go forth then and share that message necessarily. You were enamored with the vehicle that the message was given on, which is speaking. So explain, I want people, people to hear that because that's profound. Yeah, I was a youth pastor. I was, I went to school in Wichita Falls, Texas, and I thought I was going to be in the corporate world, the entrepreneur world. I got a great job offer in Dallas and I turned it down because my pastor convinced me. He said, Pete, I believe that you can come back and make an impact on the lives of kids. I know you don't have Bible training. I know you don't have any theology training, but I know that you uh, could come and change our town and our town's kids need you. And, you know, I, what I share with a lot of people is I thought I was going to be Jerry Maguire. Like I literally thought I was going to be Jerry Maguire. And the reason I thought I was going to be Jerry Maguire, because there were a few people who impacted my life at a very young age. I heard Emmett Smith speak. I heard David Robinson speak and they influenced me significantly, both incredible men of God. And they had such an impact on my life as a young kid when I was battling a very difficult time with my dad. So I thought, man, what if I could represent athletes and, and take these athletes out into the world and let them influence the lives of young kids who were going through difficult times like me? And so I thought I was going to be Jerry Maguire. And little did I know that you have to have a law degree. And so I actually decided uh, not to do that. And I went the business route, the corporate route or at least I thought that's where I was going. And I ended up in Hereford, Texas, small little West Texas town. Um, and the first Wednesday night I showed up, there were three girls there, Jory, Stacy, and McKenzie. I remember them. And I remember them well because they got behind this idea that I felt like we could bring in speakers to grow our youth group. Mm. And we could, I thought we were going to have like three dozen kids there the first Wednesday, and we had three kids. And I was like, wow, I've got a lot of work cut out for me. Yeah. Well, they didn't know the selfish reason I wanted to bring speakers. I was scared to speak. Like I like fumbled and I bumbled and like whenever I got in front of people, it wasn't good, but I was really relational. And so 
we brought in all of these speakers and that's what we did. We brought in speaker after speaker after speaker. We brought in Melvin Adams, a Harlem Globetrotter. We brought in Chad Hennings and Larry Brown from the Dallas Cowboys. I tried to get David Robinson and Emmett Smith and never could make it happen. I brought in Susie Merrick, who is an amazing worship leader. I brought in Garth Merrick, who is a CEO. I brought in entrepreneurs. I brought in everybody because I wanted my kids not just to have this spiritual, like godly experience. I wanted their minds, their hearts, their mentality. Um, I brought in Virgil Slintz and he talked about being a giver and not a taker. He said, there's too many takers in this world and be a giver. And what I saw is I saw like this power of this one hour on the stage. Like I literally brought in probably 30 speakers, um, big, bigger speakers and many, many others like that were locals. And my youth group grew from three kids to 800 kids. I've been saying 750 kids, but my wife just pulled out the newspaper article a couple of days ago and showed us on my last Wednesday night, there were 800 kids there. And so I saw the way that speakers influenced my kids, just like Zig Ziglar influenced so many millions of people. I saw like this influence and it was just like, wow, three to 750 kids. And one of the speakers I brought in, he was like the 25th speaker I brought in. His daughter was the first girl killed at Columbine. Hmm. A pastor from Grove City, Ohio said, and his name is Bob Mumpert. Bob Mumpert said, Pete, you have to bring Daryl Scott into your community. His grandchildren, Bob's grandchildren were in my youth group. And Bob knew that I was, I was doing amazing things to grow this youth group. And he, so he called me and he said, you got to bring Daryl Scott in. And so I brought Daryl Scott in. And just like all the speakers, I was thinking he's about to impact my kids and my grandkids, or I, excuse me, he's like, he's going to, I don't have grandkids, by the way, he's going to impact my kids and all of the kids within this community. And, um, I sat on the front row at Hereford high school, just like I had so many other times with speakers and his final challenge, his daughter left six diaries and she left a paper called my ethics, my codes of life that she wrote one month before she was killed at Columbine. And he was sharing her story through her writings and how she felt like she could start a chain reaction of kindness and that would ripple around the world. And so as he's sharing this in the morning and he goes into his final challenge, he said on April 20th, 1999, I didn't know that would be the last day that I would ever see my daughter. And he said, there's five people in your life that you need to let them know how much you love them. And I was like, oh, that's easy. My best friend, my, de- or not my best friend, my, my girlfriend, who's my wife now. And then he gave that little convicting thing that so many people do, just like Zig did on stages. He said, and some of them you're not in good standings with today. Mm. And I thought, I hated my dad and I hated my mom. I hated them because of the things that they did to me as a little kid. The things that my, especially my dad, because that's who I lived with. And I'm 23 years old and I'm thinking, I've tried everything. I've tried church. I've tried counseling. His seven siblings. I've tried everything. And he hasn't said he's sorry. What's going to make this any different? And Daryl challenged everybody in the audience, bring them back tonight. Bring them back to the parent event. And I brought my dad back to the parent event that night. And I sat in the back row because he was a very prideful man. I had to convince him. I told him I'd buy him dinner and do all these things just to get him to go that night. And he went. And he didn't say a word that night. And I was so furious because all of the parents in the auditorium were hugging their kids. At least that's my, was my perception of the night. And I was like, if this doesn't do it, nothing's going to do it. And I got a letter a few weeks in the, I got a letter a few weeks later in the mail from my dad. My wife and I were at home and it said, I'm sorry for the father I've been here. My son is having an impact on hundreds of kids' lives and I can't have an impact on my only son's life. I'm asking you for a second chance to do things right. 
And he told me multiple times in this letter how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. And I literally was crying with my wife and, and I was crying and I was weeping and I was thinking, not only have speakers come in here and built our youth group and changed our community, this speaker came in and did something personally that I had been trying to see happen for 10 years and didn't see it happen. And now all of a sudden in one hour, in one freaking hour, it made my dad apologize and ask for forgiveness. And that was the day that like my mind and my heart was completely opened up to stages and the power of stages. And obviously the great Zig Ziglar um, was one that used stages to influence millions of people. So that's why I care about stages. That's why I'm so passionate about people getting their message out there. And, And like today, like you said, this is a stage. We're on a stage right now. And so that's what that's that was the evolution. I didn't get to just see it in my youth group. I saw it in my dad, mm-hmm. and now I've seen it in entrepreneurs and nonprofits and organizations all across the world that use stages to really influence people. Your dad is he yeah. alive? Is he still alive? He's alive, man. How's He's your relationship? How's the relationship today? Yeah, if, if you know, I it's amazing. It's really good. Uh, it's actually really, really good. Like he's coming out of here for Thanksgiving. Um, he's so proud of me. Mm. And you know, the cool thing, what that did for him, like um, my wife and I, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about my family in a minute because I think it's a little miraculous thing that just happened. But my dad had something miraculous happen at 49 at, in his like young to mid forties, he got remarried to an amazing lady. And at 49 and 48, we get a phone call. We're living here in Colorado. We get a phone call. My dad says we're pregnant. And so I go, I'm like, Kim, this is 12 years ago. I'm like, babe, we don't have kids. And we were struggling having kids because doctors told us we'd never have kids. And and we haven't because of uh, medical challenges that my wife had in the past. And so I was, I was a little mad, actually. I don't, I've never shared that. I was actually a little mad that my dad was having a kid and I couldn't have a kid. And so I went back. And um, I went back to meet my little brother. His name's JT. And I remember seeing something different that weekend, 12 years ago in Hereford. And my dad held him and he cuddled him and he looked at him different. And it was pretty crazy, Kevin. And, and then all of a sudden we're like, I'm, I'm telling my wife, there's something different here. There's just a different energy in, in this atmosphere. Like there's something that's going on. And as we're leaving to come back to Colorado, my dad took me to the driver's side and waited for my wife to get in because he's a really private man. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, um, he asked me for a second chance in that letter that he had wrote 13 years ago. And I think it's funny how God returned it to him in full, full form. But he looked me in the eyes and he said, I want you to know you'll always be my little boy. Oh. But I feel, I feel like JT is my second chance to get to do things right. Oh and so not, not only is my dad the most amazing father to JT, Kim and I have had the privilege to be able to adopt three kids, Keaton, Mia, and Emma. And my dad is the most amazing grandfather to them and the most amazing grandfather to my sister Brenda's kids as well. And so people ask me, like, do you regret the fact that you, you like, are you mad that you lost so many years? No, I'm so happy that my little brother JT and my kids get the experience of grandpa and a dad that this man on a stage influenced to become that man. And so it's pretty amazing to see who he is with me, but I think he takes a whole lot more pride in who he is with his JT and my kids and my sister's kids. That's amazing. That right there, 
So I'm going to talk to the audience here for a second. So as I'm doing my research on you and I'm looking at Facebook and I'm looking at the websites and I'm looking just online, I, so speaking is your platform is, is your, is your vehicle uh, again, coming back to that. But that's what I heard. Those stories that you just shared from the heart are the testimonials that I heard from countless people that I heard that I read from countless people about you, that you helped them with a platform, but it was helping bring the story. And really, gosh, I think it, I didn't even, I didn't think about this. Redemption. There's so many, you're like the redemption story guy, uh, mm. obviously from your own experience, but that's what I saw testimony from, from people that we would know like Stu McLaren, uh, other speakers and, and professionals out there, but also to the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't even know how many who are following you, trying to bring their story to light. I mean, yeah, you got the heart you are. I think you're, you're, you're the heart of a pastor, but you're here in the business place. We don't need you anywhere better than that. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Like that, I feel like I feel like there's this genius that was birthed in me on that day in 2003, mm. and and I actually feel like one of the things I don't talk a whole lot about. I actually feel like there was this testing ground that God put me through in Hereford yeah. to build something small. Because I feel like when we're faithful with something small, that God will give us something more, and He begins to increase it. And so, taking care of those kids and and raising that youth group up was like that first testing ground for the Lord to say, well done, you've done an incredible job. And now you get to go help this organization. And I didn't say that to you, but we went and helped Rachel's Challenge grow from a $50,000 organization to just shy of $7 million. They were impact on an annual basis and they were impacting thousands of kids in the school system. And we got to be able to help them impact millions of kids in the school system. They were seeing school shootings prevented. They were seeing a teen suicide prevented every single day. And we were the ones doing 100% of opening those doors through stages. And so that was like that second testing ground because I was so faithful with this first thing. And it really opened my eyes up to this genius that God put in me, that he puts in all of us. I was able to then take that and apply it into the second phase. And now I believe I'm in the greatest phase in the third phase where it's not just a handful of organizations that we're getting to help, but we're helping thousands of individuals and organizations and nonprofits make sure that they can take their story and get really clear on it and make sure they can take their company's story and get really clear on it and get that message in front of more people. And now it's like just kind of the evolution of starting small and beginning to grow. So I'm so like freaking blessed to be able to do what I do. I love what I do. It's not easy every day. Um, You know, there's ups and there's downs, but man, I love it. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. Okay. Well, let me ask you mentioned earlier, you said the words that you didn't have training in a certain area. And now you've taught, you've mentioned, you know, genius was birthed in you, but that is, you know, so were you just skilled with, I mean, to do all that you did took sales skills. It took PR skills to be on the stage, takes speaking skills. So did you do what so many people I think will kind of discount your journey by saying, well, that's just what he was. He was a natural. Were you? Okay. Tell us about that because, because when you say that, you know, we hear this term from a lot, you know, the genius was birthed in you and you even said it and everybody has genius. Yes. But do we cash that in? You had the opportunity of it. If you would hone that genius. Oh, completely hone it. So let's be, let's be really like, I want people to see this. So I told you I avoided stages as a youth pastor. Yeah. Well, the cool part of phase two 
is I got to avoid stages too, because I was simply the wizard of Oz trying to figure out yeah. how to get these speakers on stages. So I still got to stay behind the curtain and avoid it, but I had to cold call and cold email and send a direct mail piece and send a cheesecake factory gift card and uh, reach out via video and do all of these different forms to try to win some of the most influential stages in the educational sector. We've since won the most influential stages in all sectors, but I was focused on education because Rachel's challenge wanted to get into education. So I was like getting no's and I was getting hung up on and I couldn't figure this thing out, but I knew that I was going to figure this thing out. And so it was a work in progress. It took me a few years to be able to figure this out. But once I was able to figure it out, I then was able to bring other people on the team to help me do what I figured out. So it took multiple years to really get honed in and and really clear on winning stages and making sure those stages evolve to more customers and more impact. But no, it didn't come naturally. It didn't come easy. And for 13 years, here's the cool thing. I got to avoid speaking because I was the one behind the scenes trying to get the stages. It just so happens that two years ago, when I started Advance Your Reach, when I threw her on our third full year, and I knew that I was supposed to not just serve a handful of organizations, but thousands of organizations, people told me, now you're going to have to speak. And it did not come easy for me. If you saw my first three-minute talk, you would see my hand shaking. You would see my my, my complete face in like agony. I was so scared. I was sweating under my armpits mm-hmm. and now I have to be the guy to step out there and not be behind the scenes, but yeah. be the guy on the stage. And I had to go through repetition and coaching and practice. And I started on stages of like 10 people and then I moved the stages of 20 people. And so through all of this, just, I just knew what my calling was, but I still had to go put in the work and the practice and figure this out. And yeah, so it didn't just come naturally or easy. It was the repetition and the understanding of perfection. And I'm still not perfect. I don't think we ever arrive at perfect, but like really trying to strive to get better every day. Yeah. Hey, I understand, man. I'm perfectly at home here in my office behind this microphone. So uh, (laughs) uh, I, I, I appreciate that. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay. And I want to get into, I do want to dig into speaking and stages, but just on your own personal story, it's so relevant because it doesn't stop just with the experience as a kid and your parents, you've had some traumas and not the too distant future with your own family and kids that I read a little bit about. Uh, I, I saw there was a daughter, Emma born at one pound and a twin sister that died. And it looks like recently you adopted. I, I don't even know the whole story. Tell tell us what's happened there. Yeah, man. So this is pretty crazy, but I, I, so What I didn't tell you is like when I was five, four or five, my earliest memory was in the inner city of Dallas, like literally in the inner city of Dallas. And my mom and dad were separating and they were yelling and screaming at who was going to keep me and who was going to keep my sister Brenda. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, I know you don't feel like you have memory. I remember my earliest memory subconsciously. I thought it's not going to be like this one day for my family. Mm -hmm. And so that was like my earliest memory. And so like my pride and joy is my three kiddos. Um, And so when Kim and I got married 16 years ago, we thought, you know, we thought this is our perfect plan, you know, just like we all think it's like, here's our three kids and here's the timeline of it. 
And quite frankly, one of the, the biggest messages that I'm preaching today is recognizing that things, it's not always, it's the not so perfect plan actually. And it's how we respond in the midst of trials and, and tribulations that really help make us and define us. And so actually what a lot of people might not know is Kim and I went through the adoption process and um, through that adoption process, we got told verbally that we were having a kid and then the birth mom had second doubts. We got told that we were verbally having another kid and we financially supported that mother for six or seven months. And then right before the baby was due, um, she had second doubts. And then our, our third experience is actually our first baby girl that we adopted, that we brought home to Castle Rock was a little girl named Emma. And the mom, um, we named her Emma. The birth mom didn't name her Emma. Day Monique um, chose us because she wanted a, two parents for her kids. And she wanted um, a, a family that would love her baby girl. And she allowed us to name the baby girl. And we went and picked her up. Like we got noticed three days before uh, Emma was born. We went and picked her up and we brought her back home and we held her in our arms. And all of our pastor friends came up to celebrate her and our first kiddo because we had struggled to ever have our own kids. And we were told, doctor, it was, it's physically impossible for us to have our own kids because of Kim's health challenges. And so we adopted our first baby girl and we got a phone call the night that we had our celebration party that the birth mom had second doubts and, um, and she wanted the baby back at the time. I couldn't understand it. I can understand it now. Like I couldn't, I was so pissed off at that time because I went, my mother and me and Kim held Emma all night long and we took her back the next day and we just prayed over her. We blessed her. We asked God's provision on her life and we went the next day and I was very frustrated with Dame Monique. And Kim, my, Kim's mom was very frustrated with Dame Monique because she told us something and we believed her. And one of the most magical moments that I've ever experienced in my life, I have a few of them, but this is one of the most magical. We kind of need Kim and elbowed Kim and say, now what do you have to say after we had laid into Dame Monique? And my wife, Kim, said, thank you for the last three days. And oh. we just, the peace of God that surpassed all understanding just came into that room and instead of saying, we're not going back into the adoption pool, we went straight back into the adoption pool. We got in the car, we looked at each other, and we said, we, you could just feel like the, I don't know if you've ever felt so much peace, but this was one of those times where it was like, just, we shouldn't feel peace, and we did. And so a year later, we get a phone call, another birth mom, and she wants us, and it's three days before she's, you know, actually, it's on Chris, or it's on Easter Sunday. She's going into labor, and she has not picked her parent, her, her birth parents yet, and she chooses us four hours before she goes into labor. And it's like we get a call at 3 a.m. in the morning. We're like, God, this doesn't, like, this feels like last time. But Kim's like, I think we're supposed to have this baby. And so we drive up the uh, Grand Junction in the snow, Chris, or Easter Sunday. And I hear the Lord tell me, like, this is a baby boy. We adopted our first baby boy. His name was Keaton. He's 10 years old now. But I got to tell you that next week was like some of the most grudging week because we had had three past experiences that all didn't work for us. Yeah. And uh, uh, it became official. He's our 10-year-old and he is like amazing we adopted our second, our technically our, I don't even know because Kim, you know, Kim considers them a part of our family. We adopted Mia from Nancy Alcorn's ministry out in Nashville sure. um, eight years ago. And uh, we got to take care of a mom who was in trouble and we took and we adopted Mia and named her. And during the process of adopting her, the day before we were supposed to come back to Colorado, 
um, we were in a hotel and all of a sudden my wife's lupus is, is ultra acting up and my wife is actually having a stroke and Keaton is almost two. He's 18 months and Mia's six days old and we're about to bring her back and we rush Kim to the hospital. Um, Doctors give me three prognosis. The best case scenarios that she's going to have to learn to walk and talk and do everything all over again because her brain shut down, her kidneys shut down and they had her on support and her mother, my mother-in-law, who is one of my heroes took me into the cafeteria and said, cause we had to make a decision. Are we going to keep Mia or are we not? Because we could technically still give her back at this time. And it, and our fear was if they found out about my wife's health, they might take her back. Yeah. And so my mother-in-law said, are you okay with being, a, a single father to two kids. You need to answer that question right now because that's probably what's going to happen. I, wow. I can't. Yeah. Oh, and I, it was one of those times in my life where I looked at her and I said, yes, I, I, I am okay with that, but that's not what's going to happen. And miraculously 21 days later on Christmas Eve, my wife walked out of that hospital. I remember actually Jeremy Camp, who is a big Christian uh, yeah, yeah. singer, yeah. came and prayed over Kim. Lots of people came and prayed over Kim, friends and family. And I would put the speakerphone up and my friends here from New Life Church were praying over her. And we just covered her in prayer. And a miracle happened 21 days later, the day that we were signing off on Mia becoming our baby girl, Kim walked out of the hospital and nurses and doctors in Nashville, Tennessee lined up clapping because they knew that this was the girl that was, there was no way that she was going to make it. And now she's walking out of the hospital. Six months later, unfortunately, she did lose her kidney function. She regained her entire brain function 100%. And six months later, her mom gave her kidney uh, to Kim and it was a really beautiful moment in my life. And so there was a major challenge with Mia, you know, like we didn't know what was going to happen with me and we got her and she's eight years old and she is freaking unbelievable. And then the one that you probably heard about was our friends told us uh, six years, five and a half years ago, six years ago about a baby girl that had been born and she was born premature, 23 weeks, 1.2 pounds. And she had been in ICU for six months. Her twin sister passed away. And she was also told, we, uh, well, she was also told that she'd probably never be normal. And a lot of our friends from church at nine months, when she was nine months old, told us about her and said, we think y'all can like breathe life into her. This amazing foster mom has breathed life into her. And we think y'all can breathe, like continue this journey. And so we went and met her, Kevin, and it just so happens that her name was Emma. Yeah. Okay. And, and Emma, Kim didn't know if that was like a sign to go or not go because of our very first experience. And we adopted her. Um, we fostered, fostered to adopt her. And um, the doctors told us every reason why we shouldn't. Like, she'll never walk. She'll never talk. She'll never be normal. And I'll tell you the reason that we said yes. I was an all-in yes. My wife was cautious. And as soon as the doctors told us those three things, my wife said, they've told me those three things too. And we're going to breathe this baby back into life. And I swear to you, every single night, my wife spoke life over this baby. She's five years old. She's running. She's talking. She's walking. She's normal. She's in full day kindergarten. And she freaking runs our household. Like she is like the girl boss and is like another miracle. So that's like our 
kid journey. And like, if that's not enough, 16 years of being married on our 40th birthday, about a month ago, um, we found out one last miracle and we found out that we had no intention or no desire. Uh, I don't want to say we didn't have any desire, but we'd ever given up on the fact that we'd actually have our own kids. And a month ago, surprisingly, we found out that we're pregnant and we're having a baby girl in March. Holy moly. No, I did not know that. Yeah. Baby girl in March of this year. She's 16 weeks, 17 weeks right now. Oh my goodness. And and so we're like, okay, God, I guess you have a sense of humor. I guess Abraham called. (laughs) And, um, and so we're actually having a baby girl in in March, March 24th. Our fourth kiddo is, um, is coming as well. So we've had a crazy journey. It's the not so perfect plan, but anybody listening, like I, what I just want to tell you is like, I just started like, it's one of those things like we, I know like vision boards and I know having vision and having this perfect plan and writing all these goals. I know that's important. I do it in my life. But what's really another thing that I feel like we so often forget is the fact that challenges and crap is going to hit the fan. And it's not going to always be that straight line that gets us from A to B or A to Z. And it's like beginning to understand that those moments and those times in life are going to make us stronger. And it's easy for them to make us stronger after the fact, but it's, it gets so powerful when we can allow them to make us stronger in the moment and knowing that something great is going to come out of this. And so we're, we're feel so blessed. We have three kiddos with the fourth on the way and it's been a crazy journey, but man, I just am so in love with my family and I'm very grateful that, you know, they're, they're here with me on this earth. Okay. Well, I could stay on this the rest of, of our time. I, I still want to talk about the speaking thing, you know, but my gosh, you, you are, it's kind of coming back to what I said before. You are the redemption guy. It's your story. And it seems to be, as I was trolling you, the story of so many of the people that have gravitated towards you. I mean, first off, if you want to speak, if you want to have a stage, if you want to have influence, which is what you're about, um, folks, I hope you're here. And the reason why you need to plug in with Pete right here, that's why he's sitting here and we are talking today. Uh, that could be your target market. And maybe it is. I don't know the answer to this question, but I know there's a lot of people out there. One who you just gave massive inspiration, massive permission to take the hardships in their life, to redeem them and go out and bless other people. So we, we're hearing that I'm hearing that loud and clear. And I, I hope and, and pray and assume everybody else is too. There's other people out here though, who may feel like, gosh, I don't have some big trauma in my life. I don't have some gigantic, you know, I've had a pretty you know, kind of the beaver cleaver life. Yeah, it's been pretty good, but I, you know, I got a message. Am I at a lack here? Because I don't, I don't have that. I mean, we hear that before, you know, I don't, I don't have a story to get up in front of stage and, and tell people of the uh, gigantic yes. redemption in my life. What I'm sure you've gotten that question before. What do you do with those folks? All the time, man. So, so I have, I, I just, for some, whatever reason, I have some pretty crazy redemptive stories and a lot of your audience does as well. And I believe to be able to share those in a powerful way, whether it's in your personal life or in your business or in your finances and your mindset and your in like, like, you know, even Zig had so many of those, but I also believe that there's a lot of people who know that God has put a message in your heart. And the yeah. biggest misconception that, that exists in this world today is the fact that you have to have some near life or death experience or near life or death story, or that I was completely broke. And now all of a sudden I'm made it like you, that is the biggest misconception. When God puts a message in your heart, 
Like there is actually something we teach and it's called the story braid framework. And the story braid framework is not about a life or death story. It's about, it's about connecting with human beings and human beings realizing that you too have been ordinary in your life, but there's this extraordinary thing that you understand better than most other people. Mm -hmm. And when they actually can see that you were ordinary, just like them, and you've walked in their shoes, but there's something you understand a little bit better. That's extraordinary. All they want to know is how do I go from there to there? How do I move from ordinary to extraordinary? And the stories that you tell in our framework, which is on the front end and the back end of any talk that you give, they don't have to be life or death stories. They only have to connect with human beings. Like when I get on stage, I don't share what I'm sharing with you here today. I don't talk about my kids like in the way that I'm talking today. I share a picture of my kids on stage and I just talk about baby Emma or who's now our five-year-old. But all I do is I make sure that people can connect with my family because if they connect with my family, they're actually connecting with their family. If they can see themselves in my family, they're connecting. And so the big misconception that you have to have a life or death story, that's not true. There's the, there is a, a guy who is very involved in our company. His name is Pat Quinn and he's the complete opposite of me. Grew up in an incredible family. He, um, he has, is an incredible father. He's an incredible husband. He hasn't had the challenge. He's had challenges. Please, like, I'm not comparing my challenges to his challenges, but he hasn't had, like, some of these crazy challenges. But he, what he shows us and helps us understand is you can take a sunset story. Or you can take a story where your daughter got in the fender bender and you went and hugged her and she just embraced you. You can take a graduation story of your kids. It doesn't have to be some crazy story. It's the meaning and the purpose that is behind the story. But here's what I am confident of, of all of your audience. They all have a message and they want to get that message out. And for them to actually stop to say, I don't have one of these redemptive stories, I don't believe that... Um, I, I've seen it. Most people, Kevin, it's, that's not the case for. And that's just like a complete misconception. And, in, you know, in some of the stuff that we're going to help serve them with, I'll, I want to help them understand that that is a misconception. Well, so let me ask that, Pete, because I tend to be a – I'm a bullet point guy of, yeah. of, of get to the point. Um, I don't tend to – tell my story, talk about, uh, talk about myself. So, and I, but I know the relevance of it. My gosh. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my main mentor here in this is Zig Ziglar. And of course he was the consummate storyteller of getting up there and telling his background so that people could relate to him. And he taught us that. So I understand that. So we get that now I am betting though. There's a lot of people who have heard a speaker or read a book and I got to admit, I'm a book reader. And so I see this sometimes where it almost feels like there's a balance though, because you can just go and do nothing but talk about yourself and your own story and never get to the meat of the message and make it relate to other people. So I'm assuming you have in your own teachings, there, there's a balance that, that, you know, completely. Okay. Tell us. Yeah. So here's the balance. We have a thing that's called a story braid framework and it's four components. If you want to move people to take action in their lives, there is data and there's studies on this. If you want to move people to take action in their life, you don't go directly to the mind. Now, the majority of the time that you spend whenever you're giving a talk is focused on the mind, meaning the action steps, the bullet points, the move from ordinary to extraordinary, whether that's in their business or how to be a great podcaster or how to be a great CEO or how to save money or how to be a great parent, whatever it is, the majority of the time in the meat and potatoes is the head. 
But the problem is people can't start with the head. They have to start with the heart. And so the story break framework says you start with the heart and the things, the three things that you're well, actually the four things that you're trying to accomplish in that opening heart in only 10 to 15% of the time. So if you're given 60 minutes, six to 10 minutes close, you know, in that time frame, is you're trying to do a few things, connect with them. I connect by showing my family. I have friends that connect by dancing. I have friends that connect by cracking a joke. I have friends that connect, connect, first thing, connect. Second thing, tell a story that shows some ordinary and shows some extraordinary. And it doesn't have to be a life or death story. Listen, I didn't, I didn't understand finances. I was like so many people in America. Like think about Dave Ramsey. It's like so many people in America. I was going into credit card debt, just like so many other folks. But all of a sudden I started realizing that, man, what if I made these few shifts in my life? What could it do? And I began to make those shifts in my life. And all of a sudden this is what began to happen. And you've just painted the picture of ordinary and extraordinary without a life or death story at all. And here's what happens. The transition is now when you begin to transition into the second part of the framework, people want to know they're sitting at the edge of their seat because their hearts are opened, which means their minds are open and people want to know how to move from ordinary to extraordinary. So those are the three. So I told you four, I said, connect, ordinary, extraordinary, and help them understand your big why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Like help them understand, I call it a BHAG based on Jim Collins. Like we have a BHAG of a million stages in the next 10 years that our clients will be on. Why do I tell that BHAG? Because they find themselves in my why. Hmm. And so I'm doing all of that in 10 minutes on stage. That's the opening heart. Now, here's the beauty. Kevin just said, he just said it perfectly. 70% is now spent on the mind. It's the actual head. It's the three to five things that are going to move them from ordinary to extraordinary in their parenting, in their relationships, in their business, in their finances, in their mindset, whatever it is that you do in their marketing, whatever you're teaching, it's your process on how you move from ordinary to extraordinary. That's the meat and potatoes. That's the 70% of the time. Those are the three to five things. Don't teach more than that because the brain can't consume more than that. And here's the little ninja thing that I'll give to everybody. I don't even like that word. Here's the like good tip that I'll give to everybody. With each of those three to five steps, reinforce it each time with either a left brain or a right brain thing that drives it home. What's a left brain? That's analytical people. That's technicians. They want data. They want facts. They want analytics. So if you just taught something, point one, let's say we're teaching three points or four points. I might drive point one home with something related to the left brain thinker. And then I'd move to the second point of my teaching. And I might give a Zig Ziglar quote such as, I've never changed someone's life with a speaking gig, but sometimes they buy my tapes and cassettes and I got a shot at changing their lives. I've now moved to the right brain, quotes, stories, video. I'm driving home a teaching point with the right brain. 
you move to the third point, maybe drive it home with the left brain, move to the fourth point, you Mm -hmm. drive it home with the right brain. When you do all of that in your teaching, you are resonating with every single person in the audience. That's the second piece of the story braid framework. It's all about speaking to their minds because when you open up their hearts, their minds are ready to listen. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The third piece of this is the hands. Zig did say that. He said, I've never changed any, I've never changed someone's life with a speaking gig, but if they buy my tapes and cassettes, I got a shot at changing their lives. You have a moral, moral. Yes, Tom Ziegler just told me that an hour and a half ago. Yeah. And I'm now going to start using it. First time I've ever used it. You have a moral responsibility for a call to action because Zig used to get testimonies. And out of every hundred testimonies, one of them would say, you changed my life with speaking. And 99 of them would say, you changed my life with your products, your services, your tapes, your cassettes, your events, 99 of them. So there's a call to action. You want them to take some action, give you their contact information, buy your book, buy your programs, engage in conversation with you, some type of call to action, because that's where you're going to change their lives. And because you just taught them in the way that you taught them, you will see them respond to your call to action and you will not feel salesy at all. And then the last piece, the fourth piece is the heart. Mm. You come back home and the closing heart is the only intention is to drive home everything you just taught them. So I close with my dad's story and my little brother's story when I'm on a stage because I share people are always like, where are you at with your dad? They're thinking that a little bit through the presentation. Well, I save that for the very end. The reason I save it for the very end is because I say, had it not been for a stage, that would have not been possible. And I just taught 70% of the time around stages. So my closing story is intended to reinforce everything that I just taught them. Heart, 10 to 15%. Head, 70%. Hands, 5 to 10%. Heart, 5 to 10%. That is what makes a powerful talk in any stage that you're on. That is beautiful. And folks, I hope you hear that in the flavor that you're used to here with Ziggler. That is, that is learning your trade. Uh, you have a message. It can help people. Well, let, let me go to your, go to your quote. It was a Ziggler quote. It used to be, no, it's one of my favorites ever. I had it as my signature. And back when I was a big blogger, if you put this quote in, you would come up with my website first. It was, if you believe your product or service can fulfill a true need, it's your moral obligation to sell it. Mm. Uh, so that's what you just, that's what you just laid out for for us. I want to ask about stages, um, because as we are in this era of information and remote stuff, of course, I think a lot of us, me included can get to feeling like I can, I can create a stage. I can write a book. I can do a podcast. I can do a blog. And we also have different personality styles that are going to be more or less comfortable in person. And yet we also then have face-to-face events, a live person on stage, live people there. And we still hear it uh, today. We've, we've heard it for a long time, but we still hear people questioning, why do I need to go to all the expense, all the effort to go to a live stage, a live thing when I can just hear it back in the comfort of my home, save the money, yada, yada. So one, I do want you to speak somewhat to the, you know what, let me just, let me just uh, make this, the, the question simple on the literal live events, as opposed to the other 
viable stages, audio, video, whatever. Let's yep. call, let's call online them, stages. Let's, I call them online. Okay. Stages. Online yeah. and offline. Um, give us a, I, I was kind of wondering what your pitch, what your perspective was on the of value impact that the offline in person has, as opposed to the others, not to discount the others, but just to give us a little framework. 10 times greater any opt-in that you get from an offline stage on the low end. Now I love online stages. So here's what I want the audience to know. There's, and I'm not going to go over all of these, but there's eight different types of offline stages and there's eight different types of online stages and being able to have a combination of both of those in your business or organization is beautiful. So this year in 2018, I thought I was going to be on 15, but I've gotten an offer to be on some really powerful ones. I'll be on 20 offline stages. Mm. Now, listen, one thing Zig did, Zig loved speaking. He loved it like 110 times in a year. I won't be on 110 stages in a year. I won't because I have three now soon to be four kiddos, but I'll be on 15 to 20, which is one, maybe two a month. And that's very doable. I just flew out to an event. Two days ago, I flew back the next day. It was a quick 24-hour trip, and I take my kids on events with me. So 15 to 20 stages is all people need to have a significant impact on their business. And then I will be on 100 online stages, over 100. Now, the leads that I get from the offline stages are at least – 10 times better. One of the like big online launch guys, Jeff Walker, I was with him and Jeff Walker said, Pete, in offline stage, when you're captured in a room with people for 60 minutes and you've got their undivided attention, that's that lead is at least 10, 15 times better than an online lead. So like so much better, but not at the compromise of not doing them both. What we're encouraging, because Zig didn't even didn't have exposure to the online stages. He only had exposure to the offline stages, really, yeah. but for the most part. And what I'm advocating is make a combination of both, because what you can do in one hour, what you can do in one hour on a stage expedites the sales process that might take you six to 12 months to do. And the other thing that I want to say about stages, Kevin, and I'm a a big advocate of this is there's so many, so many marketing mediums and so many marketing platforms that are trendy. Most of them are, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They come and they go. Some last longer than others. You know, yellow pages used to be huge, you know, Uh, you know, radio and TV used to be easier. Facebook used to be easier, Mm. but here's the thing. Stages have been around for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Missionaries used to go from town to town, like Paul, to make sure and speak on a stage in front of other believers to raise resources for him to be able to be on the missions that he was on. And so stages aren't going anywhere. And so to kind of get back to what you asked, I love offline stages because of the conversion and the way that people go deeper with you and the quality of people that work with you because they've experienced you for 60 minutes. But I don't want to discount online stages. There's a perfect combo that we want everybody that's listening to have in their business. Okay. Well, folks on that, here's the the shameless promotion. One hour launch workshop.com slash forward slash Miller. That's where you can get this uh, content and go deep on it, on all that he's talking about here. So if you missed it, go there, one hour launch workshop.com forward slash Miller. You know, when I look at transformation, you mentioned that word, of course, I'm a believer in podcasts. I'm, I'm hosting one now. I'm yes. a believer in books. My bookshelves are the most, some of the most valuable assets I, I have, um, you know, blogs and, and yada, yada. 
But when it comes to actual life transformation and people's testimonies that I was here and all of a sudden I got to hear, I have, yeah, you said 10 times being at a live event, live event, maybe church. It may be a meeting with another person. It may be a seminar. It may be that. And I do feel, well, gosh, I'm going to say something that you're the expert in. Are we, are we at the risk of, gosh, I actually don't know this. So I'm really curious. Are we culturally at a place where because of the online connectedness, we are going to those events where our tendency to go is less or because we are more hungry for that personal connection, are you seeing an increase in people's desires to go? I actually have no idea. Yeah. So what I would tell you is um, human connection, obviously, as you know, is at an all time low. I mean, it really, really is. And people are craving it and people are desiring it. And so what I would tell you is event attendance is actually up in the spheres that I run. Like I was just on the phone with somebody today that we're serving. They had thousands of people at their event last year. They're going to have probably three to four times as many this next year. And so people are starving for that connection. And guess what? These people who control these stages are looking for powerful messengers to come speak on those stages, just like Zig Ziglar. They're looking for it. Like, like period. Like I believe it's, you know, I believe it's, it's actually greater right now, Kevin. And and when economy goes down, event goes down naturally, just like a lot of other things go down. But right now event attendance is really high in the spheres that we're running. Okay. This is the, you know, no rocket science in my question here. I'm sure you get it all the time, but it's still relevant because people are out there and they say, you know, I'm, I hear you, but I'm not an extrovert. I'm not charismatic. I have no desire to be, I would rather, you know, dig a hole and dive into it than go out there on stage. Well, there you go. You you know that, you know, that question, go, go for it. Talk to us. so, So I get that one a lot and I get, I don't want to be a road warrior a lot. Like there's not a lot of people who want to be on the road a hundred plus times a year. So I'll, the first one I'll tackle with this is that um, I think about Ryan Levesque. Ryan Levesque thought that too, but Ryan and Ryan Levesque's an introvert. And all of a sudden, Ryan started realizing that it didn't take introverts. Well, first off, you don't start on grand stages like Zig Ziglar. You start on stages of 10 or 15 people. And by the way, Zig started on small stages too. I learned that today, like really small stages and mm-hmm. had some struggles with those stages Tom was telling me about. So introverts you don't the the reason that introverts get a little bit nervous is because they're focused so much on thinking that they're going to be on these big stages no just go get on a stage in your backyard of 25 people and here's what i want you to know get comfortable with one talk just Mm. one talk now here's the difference between stages in sunday school zig taught sunday school every year every every week i heard for like many years Mm -hmm. And he had to prepare a different lesson every single week. The creative energy that goes into that is so much greater. Tom said he spent so much more time preparing for Sunday schools than he did for stages. Hmm. Why? Because he had a few powerful talks that he used. And he probably had more than most. But for the introverts out there in the world, like what I would want you to know is that it only takes one talk. It only takes you getting comfortable with one talk. And using that framework that I spoke about just a little bit ago and using and getting really getting really crafty with one talk and knowing that you're not going to start on the big stage but like just like Ryan Levesque said Ryan Levesque said I started on a small stage and then it was like wow the response that the audience gave to me as an introvert was overwhelming and then he went to another stage and another stage and another stage and now he's on stages of thousands of people and he is still 
and introverts. Nothing's changed, but he's so comfortable with his material that he's not as nervous as he gets on a stage. And it has to do with the fact that a conversion rate and an engagement rate is so much greater. And that's really important for introverts to hear. And then the other... Yeah. The other thing that I said is just the road warrior. Yeah. Um, and, and here's what I want you to know. Stu McLaren's eyes were opened to this teaching in this one hour launch workshop. He was eyes were open to the fact that it doesn't take a lot of stages to move the needle. He's going to be on four to six stages this year. I'm going to be on 15 to 20. So it doesn't take a lot of stages to make a big impact in your business. Well, and I, you, you keep mentioning these guys. So Ryan Levesque folks, if you did not catch that show, it was show 593. So go check that out. You just got a testimony there. And I'm trying to see how quick I can be to see where my, uh, my interview with Stu is. And I'm not that good. It's in there. Just scroll down, folks. You'll find it. Well, so I, I do want to ask about this event. And then I got a couple, just a couple follow-up questions. So the event is the one-hour launch workshop, uh, which, again, folks, go to that onehourlaunchworkshop.com slash Miller and uh, get involved with this. What is different about this event. Yeah. So there's, it's actually three major events within one. And by the way, Stu McLaren is five fifty eight. just for the record for everybody. <laughs> You're good. Thank you. Yeah. So listen, we we've talked about, yeah. we talked about three things in depth today. It's like, okay, this idea of like being great on stage and overcoming the fear or overcoming the introvert, you know, whatever that is, the workshop does three, there's three major events that's happening. There's first the workshop where we're going to dive into getting your first talk design, like you will have your first talk design and actually delivering a version of it to me and my team by the end of that training. We're going to make sure that you're picking the right stages based on your season of life of what you want to be on and help you understand these stages in a grand scale. And then we're going to help you understand your moral obligation of making sure that after the stage, that this becomes, stages become the number one customer acquisition channel for you like they were for Zig Ziglar. That's what the first major event in this workshop does. We're then going to have a live training. That's all pre-recorded, but then we're going to have a live training where we're going to go deeper into the things that you built. And we're going to do a live training that reinforces and helps you take it to another level. But then the third event in this training, and there's no event like this that exists right now at the end of the whole workshop in itself, we're going to interview 30 meeting planners and meeting planners are the ones that control stages. And these meeting planners control thousands of online stages and thousands of offline stages Mm. in over seven hours. I'm going to interview them live. And many of them are going to be your dream types of stages. And you're going to hear from these meeting planners, what they think in their minds on when they're making decisions to hire you on their online and their offline stages. And so we're going to conclude it with you getting inside the minds of the people who control these stages. So you can take everything that we've built in the workshop and in the advanced training and now begin to pursue these live trainings. And so three events in one, that's what we're going to be doing in this one hour launch workshop dot com forward slash Miller. And it's going to be a phenomenal, valuable piece. That's going to allow you to really understand how to do this thing. Right. Beautiful. I, uh, I will be there, man. I need this stuff as much as anybody. So, so thank you. So I'm curious, what is a speaker? And I gotta, I gotta, I'll, I'll put, I'll preface this. My thought is somebody that you have been involved in helping shepherd to a stage where they got to share their message. What's been a fairly recent one that has just it's just floored you. 
Man, there's so many. Uh, let me maybe, let me let me maybe give um, two. I think of Karen Warstel. She used to work for is it Microsoft or Dell? Not positive, but she knew she wanted that she was seeing a, a, a significant decline in women in technology. And so she started her own company and she came and went through this workshop. She went through some more advanced training of ours that we make, that we have available. And she got really in depth into this. And all of a sudden she went on some of her first stages and her goal was to replace her income, which was a very high income because she was very high up at where she was. She was like at the, the director of IT. So her goal was to replace her income and her husband's income. And in six months, um, she replaced her and her husband's income using stages and winning wow. stages in the way that we're going to teach in this workshop. The second person that comes to mind, and I love him, his brother is actually in the band Need to Breathe, mm-hmm. and his name is Chandler Bolt. Chandler Bolt was a 24-year-old who, who runs a very successful um, company called Self-Publishing School, and he had done it completely online, completely online. And Chandler was told by so many online marketers that like, don't go do this stage thing. Like it's a rat race. Like, well, it's a rat race when you don't know how to do it right. And that's what the workshop's going to do. And so a year ago, we helped Chandler right away about a year and a half ago. Chandler's like, Pete, I'm thinking about entertaining this stage thing because the online world has never been busier or noisier than it is right now. Help me prepare for this first talk that I have. So we helped him prepare um, for a talk in front of 27 chiropractors. 27. He drove to the event in his backyard. He didn't even have to fly. There's so many events in people's backyards. And nine of those chiropractors ended up working with him. He couldn't believe it. He began to incorporate stages in 2018. And in 2018, he will either either have done 20 to 25 stages. And it has become a seven-figure customer acquisition channel for him when a year ago, year and a half ago, he was like, is this something I should do? So those are the two that come to mind because of just misconceptions of not understanding how to do it right. You know, So those are a couple of people that floor me. Well, this is a little bit of an unfair question because I know you can help anyone who want, has a message, wants to get on a stage. But I'm curious for you, Pete, that when you look out, who is your favorite beginning ground zero avatar that you have the chance to groom with their message and bring it to stage. Who, who makes your cells vibrate? So I'll speak professionally and then I'll speak personally professionally. It's this Chandler bolt story because of the fact that he he was like, all right, I'm an open book. I've never tried this thing. Like, I want to give it a shot. I want to do it right. And he didn't have all of these built in, like, uh, bad habits already. Mm-hmm. And just someone that was really getting started to wanting to do this right the first time, that professionally speaking is an avatar. But if I'm being like really, really deeply honest with you, uh, the thing, the, the people that light me up, is I see people like Joe Beckman and I see people like Houston Kraft. I see people like Lavonna Roth. I see people like Christian Moore and they're all making a significant impact in the youth in our country. Mm. My whole thing started as a youth pastor. My whole thing started as an organization, Rachel's challenge that put programs into schools. And so there's just this special place. And I actually am getting goosebumps right now, as I say it, 
there's this special place when I get to help somebody in the youth market. And I don't want you to hear that and say, oh, I'm not in the youth market. I'm just telling you like that's like this is this is something that crosses all markets. But that's the one that's really special to me because this all got started for me as a youth pastor. Well, and that's why I prefaced it like I did, because I know you have helped people across the board uh, with so many different messages, so many different all varieties of genres and demographics. But uh, I just I love hearing your heart. And I thought because I've just been taught we should end with a little heart. So there you go. That there was you go. that was the that was the anchor right there, man. Thank you so much. I know you not only have me, but you have the entire Ziegler team and family behind you to get people to this event. And they're doing it because they love your heart. That's what I got loud and clear. And I'm so honored to have sat with you today. And because we are so close, we are going to do face to face. You just gave me the power of that because it will be 10 times more powerful than what we just did. Okay, (laughs) there you go. Uh, Thank you for blessing us and bringing your message to this stage, Pete. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, friends, we just hit your heart and your head. I love it when I get way more from a guest than I anticipated. I am truly just inspired. Again, connect with Pete, get involved in this upcoming event at onehourlaunchworkshop.com slash Miller. You'll find almost all the Ziegler team and family there to attend as well. If you got value from the show, please really let Pete know. Leave a review for the Ziegler show in iTunes and or Stitcher. Uh, it means the world to him and to us and helps people know what they can get from this show. Uh, well, we've got a really important show coming up next. I'll fill you in after I share some great resources. Coming up next in show 620, we are talking about selling for love. I'll explain. A couple examples. Have you ever seen a great movie that just wowed you, made you feel great, you just wanted everyone to experience it and benefit, and you told everyone you could? Well, another example, imagine you had a loved one who's dying from a rare disease, your beloved spouse or parent, let's say, and you divinely meet someone who had the same issue, but found an alternative treatment that may be risky, but literally cured the issue and saved their life. And you went to your loved one and fervently, unabashedly tried to sell them on doing it, right? You get the idea. In both cases, you didn't really feel like you were selling. Uh, You didn't think of it that way. You were simply caring for someone and trying to help them out of love and care for them. Well, Zig Ziglar loves sales, and he placed salespeople on a pedestal next to pastors, at least those who did it right, because they did it in the ways that we talked about just a second ago, which, you know, having a product or service you truly know will serve people well and selling it, it, selling it to them, that's care and love. That's what we're talking about. So I play a four minute clip from Zig that drives this point home. And from it, I posted this question on Facebook. What do you sell that you feel is out of love for the person who really needs it? We of course got great responses. Tom Ziegler and I read through them and Tom shared so many great stories on this topic. As we read through the comments, you're going to get a lot from the show that will help you with the product service message, the thing that you care about imparting to others. Well, I hope you can join us till then. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.